You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. A few weeks ago, we started talking about uh, a text by Dogen called Guidelines for Studying the Way. And then we got sidetracked for a few weeks, but now we're back. As we talked about last time, this is uh, a very reader-friendly text. It's divided into these little sections. And what we began with last time was the section titled, You Should Arouse the Thought of Enlightenment. And for review, what he says is that if we maintain the mind that recognizes impermanence, then that mind can become the thought of enlightenment. That's very concrete and also very... uh, unmystical. Just notice. Just notice impermanence. Notice the pervasiveness of impermanence, the completeness of it. Pay attention to that. This is starting to steer us away from what we might think enlightenment might be. If I say to you or to another group of people to arouse the thought of enlightenment right now, everyone will think something different, but everyone will think something amazing. And Dogen saying at the very beginning, don't, that's not it. It's a little more boring than that. And then he wants to drive this point home. And he says, indeed, when you hear a song of praise sung by a Kinnara god or a Kalavinka bird, let it be as the evening breeze brushing against your ears. If you see the beautiful face of Mao Zhang or Zhishi, let it be like the morning dewdrops coming into your sight. Freedom from the ties of sound and form naturally accords with the essence of the way-seeking mind. So all of these are, are references that, of course, people would have understood more easily than the, the Kinara bird. I had to look these things up. Uh, these are not in my head. Uh, the Kinnara gods are musicians that are said to live in the godly realm. They're half bird and half human, and their music is unbelievable. And the Kalavinka bird is, uh, is just a mythical bird that is, is renowned for its singing voice. And then he says, if you see the beautiful face of Mao Zhang or Zhishi, these are two beautiful women in ancient China who were used as references of, 
of beauty. And um, uh, the one reference I could find was that Jishi was so beautiful that if she leaned over her balcony, then the fish in the pond below would look up at her and they would forget to swim and they'd just start sinking. (laughs) Birds would crash. That kind of person. And Dogen's saying, when you hear something that's so perfect, so sublime, and when you see something that just seems to be a thousand ranks above everything else, he says, just ignore that. Let that go. Let it be as the evening breeze brushing against your ears. And he's talking here about preferences. And he's talking indirectly about our preferences for what this practice might be and what enlightenment might be. I think nobody comes to spiritual practice because they want their life to be exactly the way it is. Right? You don't say, oh, I'm going to take up meditation because I want things to be just as they are. And I want myself to be just as I am. But now with this added thing that I do on Tuesdays. And if we imagine that we want our lives to be different in some way, if we imagine that we want ourselves to be different in some way, then what we imagine, of course, is that we want this. Whatever this. There's something. There's something that we see. Maybe no one else can see it, but we see it. There's a version of myself that's waiting for me. He's waiting for me on Tuesday nights. Right? I will go and meet him. And there's a version of my life that starts on Tuesday nights. I'm going to go push the go button on that version of my life. And that version of my life is, depending on who you are, it's a very beautiful life, or it's a powerful life, or it's a clear life, or it's a gentle life, whatever that is. Dogen here is saying, don't be distracted by your ideas of what is best and what is not. And so he throws up these images of the most beautiful sounds and the most beautiful faces. And he says, don't worry about that. That's not the point. I've mentioned many times, maybe the defining phrase of monastic training is ski kirai kanke nai. Ski kirai is likes and dislikes. And kanke nai means they're irrelevant. You hear this over and over and over again. We say, well, you know, in the kitchen we have some of this vegetable that everybody really likes. And we also have a bunch of this vegetable that nobody's really excited about. Tonight can we have the one that everybody likes? Tsukikirai kanke nai. You have to use both. Just let go of it. 
this place where I'm sitting right now, it's kind of drafty. But I've noticed that that guy over there, he has a really primo sitting spot and he's out this weekend and maybe I could sit over there. No. You learn very quickly not to express what you want things to be. It's like parenting, right? You'll, they'll, once you, once the senior people know what you really want, you'll never, never get it. <laughs> Ever. It doesn't mean, by the way, that we have to numb ourselves to the things that we like or be blind to the things that we dislike. But not to let that control us. Not to let that define our experience. Dogen continues, If in the past or present, and this takes us into a different point, if in the past or present you hear about students of small learning, or meet people with limited views. Often they have fallen into the pit of fame and profit and have forever missed the Buddha way in their life. What a pity! How regrettable! You should not ignore this. Dogen has all these phrases where he sounds like he's being really mean. You know, he has some idea about people. If you ever meet somebody who believes this, well, that guy's a lost cause already, right? But in this case, he's talking about us, <laughs> right? You hear about students of small learning or meet people with limited views. We have limited views. So we're already wrapped up in this. And often they have fallen into the pit of fame and profit and have forever missed the Buddha way in their life. This phrase, fame and profit, comes up all the time in Dogen's writings as the great danger. <laughs> and, and these are meant very, very broadly. Fame doesn't necessarily mean that you're on television. It has to do with your expectation of how you're perceived by others. And profit can be any profit. It's what you're getting. So if you're coming to your life, if you're coming to your relationships, if you're coming to this practice with an idea of gain, then you'll miss something crucial. Anytime you have an idea of gain, you've entered into a transactional mind. Right? You've entered into spiritual capitalism in which if I put forth this kind of effort, I will receive this kind of reward. I will be paid. And then success is determined according to how much I am paid. And payment may come in the form of just feeling really deep all the time. Or it may come in the form of, of encountering a teacher who is really fond of telling you that you're doing great. Or it may be, this would be truer, 
in his context than in ours. But that your neighbors start to notice that you're going to the temple a lot. You're meditating a lot. It's pretty impressive. All of those are profit. Your idea that you're becoming something, that you're uh, taking steps closer to your aspirational self, those are profit. Dogen says again and again, fame and profit are the wall between us and an authentic life. Even if you read the sutras of the expedient or complete teaching or transmit the scriptures of the exoteric or esoteric schools without throwing away name and gain, it cannot be called arousing the thought of enlightenment. At the beginning here, he's talking about the Lotus Sutra, but specifically he's saying that even if you do something great, or even if you follow the perfect recipe for a spiritual life, if underneath that you're trying to get paid, you're missing it. Some of these people say the thought of enlightenment is the mind of supreme, perfect enlightenment. Do not be concerned with the cultivation of fame or profit. Some of them say the thought of enlightenment is the insight that each thought contains 3,000 realms. This is a notion from the Tendai school, that, that each thought contains 10 realms, each of which contains 10 realms, each of which has 10 essential qualities and 1,000 manifestations. There's a lot of math. Some of them say the thought of enlightenment is the Dharma gate that each thought is unborn. Some of them say the thought of enlightenment is the mind of entering the Buddha realm. So he's taking all these ideas that people are saying about what enlightenment is and what the mind of enlightenment is. And he says, such people do not yet know and mistakenly slander the thought of enlightenment. They are remote from the Buddha way. Right. Not because they're wrong, but because they're stuck. They're saying enlightenment is this. Right? I know what I'm looking for. When I go into the room looking for enlightenment, I know it's red and it's right and it's shiny. And that's what I'm going after. And Dogen says, do not walk into that room thinking that you know what you're supposed to find. Above all else, don't do that. Try to reflect on the mind concerned only with your own gain. Does this one thought blend with the nature and attributes of the 3,000 realms? Does this one thought realize the Dharma gate of being unborn? Does the mind that wants this exist in accord 
with your beautiful idea about what it is. If you're honest, you can stop yourself there because you can see, no, (laughs) it doesn't. The mind that you're carrying and the mind that you're looking for don't meet. (laughs) So you have to drop one or maybe both, (laughs) ideally both. From ancient times, sages have attained the way and realized Dharma. Although as an expedient teaching they have lived ordinary lives, still they had no distorted thought of fame or profit. Not even attached to Dharma, how could they have worldly attachment? I love this phrase, not even attached to Dharma. There are lots of teachings that point to the idea that, you know, if, if we're, if we're taking on this, this path in increments and we're kind of letting go slowly of, of our attachments, again, not in a numb way, but in a, in a way of not grasping anymore, we're releasing our hold on our ideas of this and we're releasing our ideas, our hopes for this and we're releasing our regrets for this and we're doing, and every, it looks like a Buddha in the making, right? What we're left with in the end, if we came to this through Dharma, is probably Dharma. That's the one we won't let go of. Because it feels like that's the thing that got us there, right? That's been the magic thing the whole time. It's the magic marble and we hold it in our hands and we say, but this one is true. This is true. And Dogen says from the beginning, he says, let go of that one too. Don't imagine that the only dharmic life looks like a dharmic life. I would say, don't imagine that you have to be Buddhist to practice Buddhism. Don't imagine that Buddhism equals enlightenment. Don't imagine that Dharma, as we know it, is the only vehicle by which you can recognize truth. Let go of that too. Let go of the idea that at the end you get to keep that one. Or that you get the big Dharma sticker. The end looks just like this. (laughs) The thought of enlightenment, as was mentioned, is the mind which sees into impermanence. This is most fundamental and not at all the same as the mind pointed to by confused people. (laughs) The understanding that each thought is unborn or the insight that each thought contains 3,000 realms is excellent practice after arousing the thought of enlightenment. This should not be mistaken. And here what I want to say is, is that 
underneath all of this, this phrase, arousing the thought of enlightenment, the critical word is arouse. (laughs) Enlightenment, as Dogen is saying over and over again, is the danger word. That's the one that's going to screw us up. But there is an impulse. There is something that we feel. If I meet someone for the first time and they have a quality that I want, I recognize that quality before I name it. I feel it. And then I go home later and I think, what was it about that person that was so magnetic for me? And then I, I, I decide, oh, it's this, right? It's there. It's this, this particular kindness or, or in the case of someone who's in this kind of context, I think maybe that was enlightenment, right? What Dogen is pointing to here in this whole long passage is stick with that initial thing, that initial draw, that initial magnetic pull, that, that gravity You're seeing something. You don't need to name it. And if we're looking for enlightenment, then we'll do the reverse. And every time we see something we like, we'll say, oh, it's that. Oh, I was looking for enlightenment. That must be it. We're recognizing something. And what he's saying is that what we're, what we're really recognizing is impermanence. And that recognizing impermanence is the vehicle through which we discover everything else that is true. <laughs> and that's enough. And that's where I'll stop. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.